0: Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 61, Keeping the Kids Safe.
1: Yes, welcome. Hello, I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we're coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am here with a licensed therapist and Argyle expert, Matt Krieg, my husband. Hello. And with the most professional radio voice, (laughs) our producer, producer Steve.
0: Season's greetings.
1: Season's greetings to one and all. All right. And we have special guests with us today who I just asked if they had snow on the ground and they laughed at me in a, no, we don't, but it's 55. They're from Orlando, Florida. They didn't laugh at me, but they were definitely like, no, there's no snow here. It's 55 and it is cold, but we're so excited to have Justin and Lindsay Holcomb here. Justin and Lindsay are authors and speakers. Justin is a minister and a seminary professor. With a Ph.D. from Emory University, which is super great. And Lindsay works for Samaritan Village, which is a recovery home and therapeutic program for adult survivors of sex trafficking. Wow, that's really cool. I just want to go and talk about that for a while. Previously, she served as a case manager at a sexual assault crisis center and a domestic violence shelter. There's a lot of S's in that. (laughs) Together, they conduct a variety of training seminars to service providers, churches, and organizations about how to prevent, recognize, and respond to child sexual and domestic abuse. Justin also serves on the Board of Grace, Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environments. In other words, they're super qualified (laughs) for the conversation that we're going to be having today. So hello and welcome, Justin and Lindsay. Hello.
2: Thank you very much for having us.
1: Yes, you're so welcome. Uh, I heard you both on the Chris Fabry live show a few years ago. I was like having a little moment reflecting. I was like, I think I was cleaning something, but I was listening and I just stopped because what you were saying about this children's book you wrote called God Made All of Me was just hitting me so hard because it was so practical and yet it was like you could read it with your kids, this book that would help to prevent childhood sexual abuse, which I myself, I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And so when you look at your little children, you're like, never, please, never, God. And so to have something practical, and that's gospel-centered and not shamey, I just, I ordered it in three seconds. So thank you for that. I can't wait to to talk more about it.
2: Well, I love the fact that you use the word shamey, and the book is not (laughs) shamey. I like that word a lot. It captures both the theological problem but also just the feel yeah. like the, the way the way shame works is this the shamey gross like yeah, yeah. so uh and so I'm thrilled to know that uh someone who also survived i was a little bit older i uh, yeah. wasn't i was 11 from an extended family member but uh uh, so hearing from you that mm-hmm. uh, it was useful for you, but also for your family, that's that's the whole purpose of doing it. It means a ton to us. So thank
1: you. You are welcome. And really, we can't thank you enough. Our girls actually like reading it and they aren't like, this is a weird book about sexual abuse. They're like, oh, God made all of me. Like, it's like this happy thing, um, which again, we'll get into some of the details of it and really how we as parents and caregivers and aunt and uncles and friends and how we can really care well for kids. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to get into the question of the week from last week, which was, how what actually helps your heart get aligned with the meaning of Christmas? What practices have you put into place to combat some of the commercialism? So um, I guess, Lindsay, maybe we'll start with you. What What, what do you guys do together?
3: What do we do together for tradition? Well, we love watching Christmas movies together, but um, aside from that, we just started working with the girls through um, lighting of the Advent wreath and reading prayers each night and the scriptures with them. And we're trying to get them into singing songs around the table, but so far we've just kept it with um, reading scriptures with them and letting the girls read and participate and then have discussion. We've been doing that around dinner time, and that's been really great just to kind of hit pause on the day, Um, you know, things are just so busy right now, especially, but just with their grades and and all their other activities. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really sweet time that we started on Advent Sunday Mm -hmm. this last, this last Sunday.
1: How old are your girls? You said it's a couple girls. They are eight and
3: almost 10. So second and fourth grade.
1: Love it.
4: Very cool. Yeah. I I think I, I don't honestly know how I made it to adulthood from a Christian family without any real experience of Advent. (laughs) <laughs> but that seems to be like the the thing that keeps people to, you know on the on the true mindset of christmas. and And there was a, a listener response um tony who who responded on her Facebook, she said, "If you've never done a Jesse tree, which not being someone growing up with Advent, I'd never heard of a Jesse tree. Um mm-hmm. but that's something that she said was really helpful for her that it's like an advent calendar, but with the tree and the ornaments are symbolizing um, just the the Advent season and, and the story of Christ and everything. And so that's, that's like really cool and really refreshing for me to hear about.
1: Yeah.
2: And I'm an Anglican minister. So one of the benefits of that, there's some, uh, there, there's some problems because you have to get dressed up in all the kind of stuff that many people don't like. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, we have Advent for four weeks and then we have 12 days of Christmas. Hmm. So, uh, Oh, see, I've heard of that. The one one way I think we should start marketing this to Christians is like, hey, you get to extend the whole Christmas preparation and you get 12 days of it. So um, we could rebrand Christmas and make it 12 days.
1: Okay, I literally did not know there was actually like a twelve days of Christmas. <laughs> I must be I didn't grow up with Advent either. And so I'm learning all this now as like a grown up is okay, you can actually take this way more seriously. And my parents, you know, huge family, eleven siblings, they really, I don't know. They did they did amazing. They talked to us about Jesus. But I have another friend, and I don't know. I, I believe she's uh from just across the pond, and so maybe this resonates, which is more Anglican in, in England, etc. But she said she is a strict Advent observer, and she said, as such, this is my friend Jenny. I use the four weeks leading up to Christmas to focus on preparing my heart and home for the holiday. Instead of beginning to celebrate Christmas the day after Thanksgiving, I always use some sort of Advent devotional, and she's using blessed is she. My roommate and I have a schedule for when the decorations come out so this is a thing this isn't just like she's making this up but like i i've heard of this before which maybe you justin can fill it in if this is related to anglican i don't know Uh, but she said the first week they just do the outdoor decoration second is the tree gets up the third week decorations go on the tree and the fourth week the nativity goes up and then they stay up until epiphany on january 6th so this is a thing
2: yeah, well, the, uh, the the schedule she does—that's just a Type A personality. Oh. I can respect that. <laughs> okay. uh, not, that's not that's not critical. Okay. Uh, that has, yeah. there's no liturgical meaning there. but okay. to the keep things up until Epiphany yes. actually is—that's oh. that's how Christmas goes quite a while. It's not New Year. It's it's Epiphany, uh, which is the unveiling of the good news to the rest of the world. Oh, and uh, cool. so uh, so the that part is liturgical. But the, uh, that and the Jesse tree, uh, Advent, you can do the wreath, you can do the Jesse tree, which was just brought up a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. That would be a cool way, too, because you're, you're thinking through on the Jesse tree, like the line of Jesse, the root, mm-hmm. the, the sprout from the line of Jesse. So you're actually doing biblical theological history on Jesus and the faithfulness of Yahweh to his people. So it's uh, that's that could be a cool way to do it, too. Yeah. But the, uh, the four-week schedule thing— um, <laughs> Uh, that's just someone who likes Excel spreadsheets. Applying it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have her. Well, she can call in after and we'll we'll talk about that. Her love of Excel or not. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> How about you, Steve?
0: Uh, well, I, to be honest, am in the middle of figuring this out. Yeah. I mean, like to me, it's a struggle to put so much importance on one time of the year yeah. because I, I feel like for me, it just like falls off. For the rest of the year, it's yeah. it's sort of like akin to being like a Sunday Christian, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and so just the last couple of years, I've struggled a little bit with having so much weight and so much attention, yeah. You know what I'm saying at, at this, this time. time of the year, and yeah. and for me, I want to be more balanced throughout the year. Yeah. So that said, I've kind of scaled back, um, I guess, spending December on a specific focus. And I'm working to make it possible to have the week off from work when mm. my kids are home from school, mm-hmm. you know, they're between Christmas and New Year's so that I can be fully present to them, to my family, you know. So right now it's just a matter of I am I'm doing my, you know, sort of working my priorities, yeah. God, marriage kids, yep. job, you know, like I try to do the rest of the year mm. so that there is like a space where I can really kind of sort of put work behind me for a week yeah. and uh, focus on really maybe having some kind of a mini retreat with the Lord, but mm. also definitely be present to my kids mm-hmm. uh, while they're home from school and just take advantage of that time that's just worked into our calendar, yep. you know, yep. um, so it's not a great answer. Sorry, it's but it's good. It's realistic. I mean, Yep. Yeah.
1: Well, and it just sounds uh, holistic. Steve, I want
2: you, I'm want. i going to recruit you over to Anglicanism because I love <laughs> what you just said about not having just one day because of the drop off. Right. Um, and I'm really not trying to recruit you. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that would be okay. You have like, you have four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, 12 days of Christmas. So you have like, I don't know, month and a half almost there. And then you have like four weeks of Lent and repentance and being penitent. And then you have, we do seven weeks of Easter. It's not just Easter Sunday, but we right. have... Seven weeks so of great. celebrating the resurrection and being like this party time right. and there's a whole bunch of other ones. So we kind of go by seasons and you have different themes for the season, which actually does let you live into it more as the scriptures you're reading, the prayers you're praying, the focus of your devotion and prayers and heart and song mm. are all in the same direction. And it's kind of thematic. Um, so look into it and okay. <laughs> uh and then uh, if you want to get ordained let me know that's what we do. Okay. <laughs> I ever see ordination in the in our denomination. I do before, appreciate
0: or, that. Or that because <laughs> I I feel I I do feel that um tension of the I don't know like Easter just doesn't get Easter the attention that Christmas yeah. gets and yep. and
1: Seven weeks of celebration. I'm yeah. in. We're wow. sold. Yeah, no, Can yeah. we be ordained?
2: <laughs> yes, actually, it could be.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, hey, well, hey that's just, let's. Okay, again, we're going to pivot the podcast. Uh-huh. We really are going to pivot the podcast and go to Goofball Island. <laughs> and the vehicle we're taking, even though we took it last year around this time, but Santa Sleigh has got to come right on back, which oh, yeah. is, I'm sure, not part of the Anglican conversation. <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> hey. Hey. Christmas, Christmas All right, the game we're playing, guys. Now, Lindsay, you mentioned you like Christmas movies. Are you into Hallmark movies? I am. Oh, you're going to love this. Except you <laughs> might actually know the real ones. <laughs> She's going to mop the floor.
4: I know all the titles, though.
1: I just... They're all really the same storyline, let's be honest. They (laughs) are, but I know what this is a little sentimental. Okay, wait, I didn't say the title of the game. The title of the game is Hallmark Movie or Schmallmark Movie. (laughs) So you have to tell me, is, is the description that I'm reading with the title, is this a real Hallmark movie or a Schmallmark movie? Okay.
4: A sham. Hallmark. A sham. Yes. Mm.
1: I thought that was inferred. Why don't okay. you say that? <laughs> i'm Just making sure. Okay. So this is actually a little sentimental because Matt's Ma- Matt's might be tearing up while we play this ridiculous mm. game because well his mom passed away a few months ago and this was like our bonding was she would actually watch him for serious and Matt and I would just make fun of them so I'm what? actually now they're like coming up for real and I'm like I think we need to watch them they're really good right <laughs> so okay but here we go so I'm gonna say. Um, Two different movies, and uh, you all get to vote which one is the Hallmark movie and which one's the schmalmark, okay? Okay. Frozen in Love. Bad boy hockey player Adam and struggling bookstore owner Mary must work together to help rehabilitate each other's image. Their mutual animosity and attraction sees them struggle to achieve more than their goal. That's A. Here's B. Christmas surprise. When Meg's best friend Emily promises she will set Meg up on the best blind date of her life, Meg is skeptical. Who could ever beat that nameless man with whom she had an instant connection on the New York subway? But when the blind date turns out to be that man, she is in for the surprise of her life. Okay, Justin and Lindsay, what's your vote? (laughs) A or B. Which Um, one's Hallmark? Which one's Schmallmark? A. A. I'm going to go
3: with A. I think I've seen that one. A is Hallmark. I think A is Hallmark.
1: Actually,
2: actually, we know that one so well because we actually acted out.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You're the bad boy
1: hockey player. She's the struggling bookstore owner. Oh, my word. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And I bet you did watch it. That's awesome. I think that was this year, too. I probably should have, like, gone back into the recesses of Hallmark. Okay. (laughs) What I
0: I would like to know, just real quick, I just want to interject, are you coming up with the the fake descriptions? Yeah. Are you writing the? That <laughs> I totally <is> am. <laughs> beautiful! Wow! All right.
1: That nameless man who yes. she met on the sub. <laughs> oh, I got into it. I was laughing myself mm, real good. Okay, <laughs> round two. There's three rounds. Okay, you guys are one for one. Something old to new. Small town antique shop owner Clara can't believe her high school prom date Steven is back in town for Christmas. When fate causes them to work together for the Christmas parade, sparks fly on more than Santa's sleigh. So that's number one. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Steve.
3: Yeah.
1: I'm here all day. Okay. <laughs> Love on the slopes. A less than daring aspiring travel writer tries out extreme sports in order to write a magazine article with the help of an extreme sports p- photographer. The two get on the same page on more than they thought they would. So which one's Hallmark? Which one's Schmallmark? Love on the slopes would be Hallmark. Yes, no, dang it! No, oh wait, sorry. No,
2: no I, I think I think the first one's the Hallmark. No,
3: you don't know, don't vote. <laughs> <laughs> Love
2: on the slopes. Okay, I'm, I'll go with my wife. I'm not stupid. I, they, they both sound like Hallmark to me.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I am going to start a new career. Okay, the second one, she's right. You've watched all these, Lindsay. I picked a wrong game, or maybe the perfect game. Yeah. But come on, the small town antique shop owner and her high school prom date. That okay, was
4: can dead. can I just interject that love on the slopes with the extreme sports? I was only thinking of McGee and me with the skateboard race. <laughs> the like skateboard the, that's, race. That's all I could think of when you say extreme sports. Like that graphics, like the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Like all that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Matt's <laughs> doing a callback to all the homeschool nerds from the 90s. We see you. We're on the same page. Okay. Last round.
2: Homeschool nerd from <laughs> the 90s. Yes. <laughs> your next goofball island one. are about like Ezekiel. Is that a... <laughs> You have to give out names and figure out their homeschool nerd yes. names. There you go. Yes. There you yes. go. Yes. Did Jedediah.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. Obadiah. <laughs> and all their siblings with the same first letter.
2: Yeah. You can oh, make it. You we can hung out name. with those families. Be, the two options are a uh, homeschool nerd names or Mormon names.
1: Oh, snap. Wow. Ooh, sick burn, sick burn. What's the yeah. an Anglican joke. So we got it full circle. No, <laughs>
2: Just oh, There's plenty of them. I okay. can't say that. Okay. We got gotcha.
1: you. Okay. Last round guys. You are two for two. I am impressed with Lindsay. She's like, no, trust me. Cause you probably watched them. Okay. Let Justin vote for this next one. Okay. We'll oh. let Justin. Thank you. Okay. Peace on earth. Never time for anyone, magazine executive Stacy constantly overlooks everyone, especially her ever faithful assistant, Trent. But when the two are caught in a snowstorm, her eyes are open both to the joy of slowing down and to the golden heart of her assistant. So that's number one. Number two, Winter's Dream. Former pro (laughs) skier Kat is asked to coach a younger skier, Anna, and find something more than intriguing about the girl's widowed father. Which one's hallmark? Uh, I I want to
2: consult. So I'm (laughs) leaning toward Winter's Dream, honey. Uh, That that just sounds. (laughs) That and plus all of the ones she's read so far have had sports involved (laughs) under. So I'm going with that as maybe a potential hint. What do you think?
3: I think you're correct. Go with Winter's Dream.
2: Winter's Dream is Hallmark.
1: All right. You're right. I mean, <laughs> wow. yeah, I'm impressed. I thought I'd at least get one, but you, you, I can't get it past you, Lindsay. So,
4: <laughs> Just honest disclosure here. I would have literally gone 0 for 3. Really? You would have tricked me on every <gasps> oh, single one that, that are- you wrote out yourself
1: we're our own hallmark movie <laughs> two podcasters exactly connect over one's copy yes that's yes. awesome okay we are here for a reason folks so which is not just to play games although it's fun Okay, so we are actually diving into some pretty serious stuff, but it is great about, I love about this podcast that we can both laugh together and we can get to this heart hearty stuff. So here for the heart of the matter. Um, now, Justin and Lindsay, we ask everyone the same set of questions just because our focus is really on the gospel. And so for both of you, we'd love to just hear just a short version essentially of your testimony, both your past tense one and your right now. So when was the gospel first good news for you, and how is it still? So whoever wants to go first.
2: Go for it, Lindsay. Yours is way better than mine.
3: <laughs> well, the gospel was first good news for me when um, 2001 I was in college, so that'll date my age and all that. But um, second year in college, I had grown up going to church for Christmas and Easter, so always believed in God um, the Father. I just was missing the Trinity part. And honestly, as a little girl, I never heard the gospel explained. I always kind of understood Jesus died, but I never got the resurrection piece. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was like, why is everyone still talking about this Jesus like he died? So I go to church growing up for Easter and Christmas, but don't hear the gospel proclaimed. And then it's when I'm in college, I have a roommate that is just bless her heart. She's relentless inviting me to church. She sees me just as a hot mess. I was really anxious, um, super anxious, um, and probably, yeah, a little bit of a partier and joining the Greek life and the sorority world. And so she just kept inviting me to church. Then she invited me to do a Bible study with her, the book of John, because she was having a difficult time. (laughs) And so seeing it all now, she, she wanted me to to hear the gospel. And so finally I was like, fine, I'll go to church with you just to get you to be quiet. She
2: actually lied to get you to do the Bible study, which I thought was really cute.
3: Oh (laughs) yeah. I'm having a hard time. Will you help
2: me? She was struggling. She made up up a a rough time so she could witness her. I'm having a
4: rough time with my friend who won't understand the gospel.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And me being, you know, I'm a type two on the Enneagram and I understand it all now. I'm like, sure, sure, you know, to take care of her and I'll go to church with you. And so it's when I went to church, um, I really heard about Jesus, that Jesus is not dead in the grave. Jesus has risen and is alive and interceding for me. And I just saw my profound need for um, the Lord. And not. I was just really anxious and and angry. I had um, a lot of just emotional kind of abuse from my dad growing up and then parents had split and was just lost in the world. And, and I was really just living for myself and like, I've got to save myself. I've got to prove myself worthy to the world, to God. Like it was just kind of a cycle of, um, of yeah, I was just headed into turmoil. So going to church with her and doing the Bible study with her just was smacked in the face with how loved I am by Christ and, and that my life is not to proclaim Lindsay and to try and prove myself, but it is all about Jesus. And so just drastically, my life took um, a radical turn and, Yeah, it was great. And then, you know, now here I am married to an Anglican priest and driving a minivan and (laughs) (laughs) life has taken a turn. But yeah, it was 2001 in college to sum it up.
1: Love it. And how do you still need Jesus?
3: Oh, every day. I realize now having children, you see your deep, I mean, in in a different way, you see your deep need for Jesus. Because I think even before kids, you kind of coast along with some hiccups in the road. But Having children, um, it's very sanctifying of realizing just, for me, um, what control issues I have. And so being able to every single day, you know, Jesus, I need you to intercede on my behalf. I need you to watch over my children. I need you to give me patience because I am not patient. I mean, the laundry list can go on. Mm-hmm. And um, like
1: the literal laundry list. <laughs> <of> laundry. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Justin? When was the gospel first good news and how is it still?
2: I grew up in a christian home so i don't i I don't remember not believing which is i said Lindsay's was better but i'm hoping that's the story for our girls too yeah um so but my parents they were they were hippies and they got married i think two weeks before i was born um they were you know doing every possible drug and and so when they were when they converted when i was six months old one year old uh, they had pretty profound conversion experiences. Mm. And for them, it was kind of life or death. It was, I mean, my mom, uh, you know, they both had some horrible childhood stuff happening to them. And, and uh, they kind of found each other. and They were together as a couple of hot mess, not just mm. <laughs> individually. And so I kind of grew up with a really gracious kind of setting at home where uh, it wasn't moralistic and uh, shamey. It was actually, you know, we really like Jesus because he keeps us alive, forgives us of our sins, and because of what he's done, we're declared righteous. I mean, it's just – it was uh, – they didn't even know church culture stuff, so it was Mm -hmm. fun. I mean, they were – the first year, apparently, when they were going to church, all the church people made them nervous, so they go smoke pot in the car before they went in to kind of chill out. And then someone told them (laughs) maybe they shouldn't do that anymore and went and flushed their weed. I mean, I grew up with parents like that who – so I remember – I do remember my dad – memorizing scripture with me. And I remember at seven, he presented the gospel to me really clearly. And then I was like, he said, what do you, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, I believe that. And he was like, okay, let's get baptized. So I got baptized at seven. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember hearing and kind of, um, you know, realizing, but it was more of a, I didn't feel like I changed my mind. I feel like he just gave words and I, I acknowledged what I was already believing, which was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it keeps on, I think Lindsay said it perfectly. I think, I think the, one of the greatest joys is being a parent, but also parenting is one of my, uh, for me, it's the biggest reflection of my failure and seeing my sin mm-hmm. with anger and I'm judgy and shamey. And I mean, I can, I can, I can heap shame with just a look in silence is amazing. So um, I think that when you when you love someone so much but you also because you're still a sinner and you still need the good news, for me that's one also I work in, in a church setting. So I see the good, bad and ugly. So I kinda need I need the gospel not just for my forgiveness of sins, but also for fuel for ministry. Because if you get off if you get off the target of the gospel all you're doing then, you're doing something different, which is not bad. It's just not, you know, you're doing marketing or you're doing, you're drumming up enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. but not being a minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I need it just for fuel for ministry to kind of keep me focused on what the goal is, is proclaiming the fact of the personal work of Jesus. We have forgiveness of sins and imputed righteousness and hope after life. Like that's the bullseye. And then what follows from that? So, and once you get off, once ministers get off of that and they start giving good advice as opposed to good news, then things start going sideways. Yeah.
1: Oh, and it's so easy to do because that's the voice of the world.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you all are involved in this sexual abuse conversation, both with this kid's book. And I think I saw that you wrote some other ones, but how did you get, uh, in, into this conversation at all?
2: I'll, I'll jump on that one and, and Lindsay can unpack it. Um, we got into it because of Lindsay. We, when we were dating, I was a seminary professor and also teaching at the University of Virginia. And she was a case manager at sexual assault uh, shelter and a domestic violence shelter. So we'd get together and she'd tell me about her day. And she was telling horror stories. And mm. I'm teaching in a seminary. And I remember her saying, like, the church needs to have something on this. And then mm. after we got married, she was in a federal women's prison and started doing a Bible study with a bunch of women who were sexual sexual assault survivors and uh, and then that basically became the outline for our first book we wrote together, which is what you you were referring to, called yeah. "Rid of My Disgrace: mm. um, Hope and Healing for Sexual Assault Survivors or Victims."
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, so it just happened out of Lynn. Really, I kind of rode Lindsay's coattails mm. in the sense of she was the practical expert of, you know, this is prevention. This is how you generally respond. Here are the stats. Here's the advocacy. And then what I brought to the table was framing it uh, with some theology, biblical studies, what does this mean for the church? And so we kind of um, she kind of got got it started for me, and then I brought what I could to the table. and then, after that, we next book we did was one on domestic abuse because that was the other you know sexual assault and domestic abuse were specialties. And she has a master's in public health, Mm. uh, in violence against women. And, uh, so we wrote that book called, is it my fault hope and healing for those suffering domestic violence? Mm. And so that's the main thing was, was that I, like I said earlier on, um, I had an uh, extended family member, uh, sexually abuse me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know about it personally and, Professionally and pastorally; those are kind of the three categories that together we we each cover one or two of those. Hmm. Lindsay, how did you? Well, have-
3: I think um, you're right. I worked at those nonprofits, and we I found when I was working at these secular nonprofits, um, Christians would come in and they'd ask. You know, as I got to know them, I was the adult advocate, so I did a lot of casework and going to court and helping out with their um, their cases. But they'd often ask, you know, is there a book I can read? And so I'd go and. Try and look things up, and I found a couple things, and I'd be like, "Yikes, I don't want to pass this one on." So mm-hmm. it was motivated by wanting to have a resource that we could pass along that we felt would care for their their hearts and their souls, and and not further, you know, revictimize them with um, crazy theology or misconceptions or just platitudes. So it was the two adult books were motivated in that way, and then the kids book that we just have written. As parents, um, we started talking with our kids because it just was something that naturally we wanted to do. But as I was talking around with different moms, you know, our children are all, you know, toddlers and babies. A lot of moms were like, I don't, I'm not talking to my kids. Or even as they got into the preschool years, like, I'm not having that conversation. How do I have that conversation? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at playgroups or at the playground, I'm educating these moms on some basics. (sighs) And it's like, well, you know, Justin, we should we should work on a kid's book because it's so much easier to have a book that you can read with your child. It takes away some, most of the awkwardness that maybe can come up or just Mm -hmm. kind of the fumbling around with words as the parents trying to figure out what to say and not say. And it just, it, it just makes it a lot smoother to be able to say, we're going to read this book together and we'll stop and chat about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have even found that as we've had you know, conversations with the girls on other topics, um, not even related to sexual abuse. But to be able to have a book to go to is is really a great resource. So mm-hmm.
1: it's bringing in an expert and like a third party so that the stumbling words that we, we can do just just to prevent that. So, you recommend this book. uh, Again, it's called God Made All of Me, and it's a kid's book, and it looks like a kid's book. And there is like some information in the beginning and the end, like directed directly at parents, but the words in the middle are what you can read out loud to your kid. And you say that you can read this like starting at age two, which is, I know what we did is my daughter was one when I heard you you on the Chris Fabry show. And so then I just bought it and we started reading when she was two. Why do we need to start talking so young? Like they're just little kids.
2: Well, we need to start talking young because uh, one out of five children will be victims of sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. And about 90 percent of the perpetrators are known to the family and only 7 to 10 percent are strangers. So you, you need to um, you need to set up the defense as soon as possible and make make healthy Views of your own body for the child normal to make it normal that that people don't touch them because because those that are going to try to harm um, sin against and commit a crime against a the child they're grooming and mm-hmm. it's frequently it's not and it can be a abrupt activity but usually they're they're very deliberate thoughtful and sneaky and they're in the grooming process so a lot of the things that we're working with with young children. In, in the book and in their conversations with parents and caregivers is, is how to counter the grooming behavior, kind of set up an electric fence around that child as much as possible so when, the, when a creep comes around, um, they, they, they get zapped a little bit. They're, they realize, wait a second, this is not a safe place for me to be doing my evil because I'll probably get found out. This kid knows their private part names. Uh, they know about touch. They, I mean, all those different things are ways to defend against a perpetrator. And and because the the age that it's happening is surprisingly young. I mean, we we hear just the past week uh, today, um, hearing stories of from as young as three months. You know, three, four, five. I mean, it's not not like it's only happening at puberty Mm -hmm. when a family member is noticing changes in the body because it's not about sex. It's about power, evil, and control. Mm -hmm. And most vulnerable are the younger. And that's why it needs to be done. Uh, And also because kids are curious. And so when children are alone, which we don't usually have our children alone with other children, but um, curiosity kicks in. So a child needs to not just... Uh, have a sense of their own dignity of their body because of a perpetrator, but curiosity of another child, or Mm. if, uh, or maybe not even curiosity, maybe, you know, a child perpetrating evil that was on another child that was perpetrated on them by an adult. So there's lots of reasons to have, have some of these um defenses in place at an early age and to make it normal. That's the big thing. Make yeah. it normal to talk right. about these things.
3: Like in a kid's and book. I think, I think adding to that what Justin just said, it normalizes the conversation so that, you know, as you build this foundation with your children over the years, whether you start at age two or a little bit later. Um, you're building a foundation of understanding and awareness. So it builds as they grow developmentally and they can handle a little bit more of the conversation. So now our girls are eight and almost 10. We've been talking to them for a few years about tricky people. I probably wouldn't have done that at age two, you know, and so it builds this um, platform. It builds a foundation, but it also builds trust. And so as you're talking to your kids, um, Frequently, not every day. I'm not talking no. like about that, but mm-hmm. as you're talking to them often and frequently in little snippets, it builds a trust so that if something happens or if they're exposed to something or if something makes them feel uneasy, concerned, they are gonna know, Mom and Dad talk to me about this, they understand it, they're safe and I can talk mm-hmm. to them. Rather, if you never have a conversation, then your kid's gonna be like, Well gosh. I can't talk about this. Like they've never brought this up. Do they even understand this? Would they even be able to help me? Am I going to get in trouble? There's just a lot of room for confusion. And that's what perpetrators want. They want children who don't have active and involved parents who aren't talking to them about these Mm -hmm. things. So you're laying that foundation. And I always tell parents, I say, if you have any hesitation in talking to your kid because you feel like you're going to mess it up, like you're not going to mess it up by having you know, conversations and, and trying to figure it out together. We are all about, you know, swimming safety and bicycle safety and wearing your helmet and wearing your car seat and wearing or getting in your car seat and wearing your seatbelt. So add this to that. This is body mm-hmm. safety, this is prevention, like awareness. Lump it into that category and that, you know, feel empowered in your role as their advocate.
4: Yeah. Well and I and I think that, you know, that you're talking about kind of giving giving your child a voice, you know and and i I work with with a few people who have who are who are survivors of of childhood sexual abuse and and the people that I've worked with almost universally there's a sense of they've lost their voice at some point in life where they couldn't say no or if they tried to um, you know if they tried to voice like their displeasure at what was happening or if they tried to go if they thought about going and telling someone that the language was no, you need to be quiet for your own protection. And yeah. you know, and so the even just with your book where it says you're allowed to say no if someone wants to give you a hug, like you're you're setting these body boundaries and you're giving the child's like confidence that their voice even if it by the perpetrator cuz you can't control everything, even if by the perpetrator if your voice is not listened to, your parents and your your caretakers will. Yeah. And so it's it's a sense of the child is not going to be just silent and trapped mm-hmm. in this terrible situation that, that they, that God and, and has never wanted them to be in.
1: Can you unpack that from your book? Because that stood out to me right away. Is that if, a let's say a grandparent wants to give them a big smooch or a hug, you say here, you can say no. Can you ex- explain what that's about? Why you put it in there?
2: Yeah, I, I can tell you uh, a story about that one too. But the big idea is wanting children to have their voice. I mean, it was said really well, H- letting them have a voice and and being in control of their body and how it's touched, if it's touched, um, and the kind of touch. So it, it's, it's trying to take the category of touch, which can be used against them, mm-hmm. and and putting uh, putting them in charge of it. And so it happened. One story happened with my dad. My you know. Uh, I think it was our oldest was probably I don't know five, and you know our family, um, our our, the grandparents are they're really warm and loving. They they adore these. We have the only grandchildren on both sides of the family. (laughs) Oh, there you go. And so they they're there, and we moved to Orlando so we could be near both sets of grandparents. That was when I was thirty nine. Uh, headed for my midlife crisis. My midlife crisis was to move closer to mommy and daddy with my family, <laughs> awesome. um, which is a pretty good one. I, I kind of like that version as opposed to the other ones <laughs> I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my dad was visiting and they were getting ready to leave. They're only two hours away. And my dad's real, he's big into physical affection he's a hugger kisser. So, I mean, I I kind of got up from him and, and so he's leaving. He's like, he's like, Hey Sophia, come over here and give me a, give me a hug and a kiss. And she said, no, thank you. I don't want to. Cause yeah, he has a beard and I don't think she looks like the feeling of the beard on her cheek. So mm-hmm. no, thank you. And he goes, Oh, come on, Sophia. I'm not going to see you for a while. And I said, Hey dad, um, do you really want to train your granddaughter to respond when a boy whines about physical affection? Hey, you. <laughs> He got immediately. He's like, no. And I was like, yeah, maybe offer a high five. And he's like, how about a high five? And you know, she gave the high five and then When she was in charge and she could do what she wanted, then she jumped in his arms and gave him a hug. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he he got his hug and everyone was happy. Uh, But he he got it then. He realized, oh, you know, forcing, like, you know, the whole give grandma a kiss, like the forced physical attention is not really a way to train children on what body interaction looks like and expectations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and, And also not doing that with your kids, not, not, um, another way that plays out with parents that I, I want to make sure I catch myself on is not relying on them for my emotional, like dad's sad. Can I have a hug? It's like, no, that's, yeah. that's not their role. That's a lot of burden for a child to have mm-hmm. to carry is their dad's emotional, you know, moment. Um, and so that's, that's the main reason is just giving them their own integrity and and agency.
1: We've, practice that in our home too, based again on your book Cause I was like, that's really smart because I don't want them to feel like they have to give their bodies over to anyone at any point. So even if they say no to us, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just, I try to just be like, they okay, you know, you can get a little hurt, but then you're like, nope. I want them to have a voice. They can say no to me. And, you know, if it's just being sassy, I still won't make it. But I'll say, Mm -hmm. can I have a high five? And so it is you have to think long term. Do you want them to feel forced or do you want them to have a voice? So important.
3: I think if any parent is hesitant because they're thinking, oh, well, it's going to seem rude to grandma, um, you know, obviously, we want to tell, we tell our girls, you know, you can say it kindly, you can say it without being rude. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's not in their hands, they're not in charge of how the other person handles it. And it'll take a while to train the family members. Mm -hmm. Um, Some in some cases, some will catch on quickly and and fully support it. But as long as they say it without being rude, Mm -hmm. then then it's all good. I mean because if you think about it, I don't require Justin to do that if, if my mom visits or you know I like just go give my mom a, a kiss and a hug. so I think it's it's like we've been talking about, it's giving them control back, which is exactly what it's taken when sexual abuse happens so' it's, it's making sure that they have control from the get-go and that that's celebrated and that's encouraged.
4: Yeah well, and then even if they if they say like no, I don't want to. I don't want to engage in this physical way like that the relationship is not going to be severed because of that. And I think that's something that even as adults, like there's this preconceived notion of how you're supposed to greet one another when you have a certain relationship. and And I've seen that really wreak havoc on, on people's lives where they're like, well, I have to give them a hug, even though I really don't want to and it creeps me out and yeah, and it's like no, you're you're able to train your kids to to have their own physical identity that is separate from someone else's and the relational connection isn't severed because they don't want to give a hug or high five or
2: whatever.
1: Absolutely.
2: The foundation of that piece of saying no to touch is the big idea is what was said earlier, voice and agency Mm -hmm. is establishing that they have a voice and establishing that they have agency and they get to determine, um, and that's that's bedrock because it, the, the voice and agency and their own determination is what's violated by a mm. perpetrator. So having that as the foundation, and then you, you build. There's other things you build on top of it, but th- to me, this is this is the 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 yeah. ultimate foundation for protection for children.
4: Yeah. And so, I mean, kids don't often – well, just, kids won't often just come out and say, like, hey, this has happened to me. But, you know, for the parents that are listening, if, if there are people who suspect, hey, this might have happened to my kid, what are some of the signs that they can look for to just be watchful of?
3: Um, some of the signs, I'll go through them, and I don't want any parents to think, like, oh, I saw that. It's definitely this, like, because you know your kid best. Um, and so some of the signs that I'll say – are for some, you know, you might see in some children, but then in some other kids, that's something that they do all the time. And you know that that's not an issue. But I always tell parents, I say, beyond anything, trust your gut, trust that gut instinct, something's not right, and investigate, look into it, talk to them, kind of see what's going on. But a couple of the big ones, you know, behaviorally, um, if you have a child who is exhibiting sexual behavior, that's not appropriate for their age. Mm -hmm. That's something Mm -hmm. you want to investigate. Like, Where did they learn this? Where did they see this? Like, who showed this to them? What's going on? Um, And so I always, um, when I'm talking with parents, that's something that I bring up to kind of find out, are they seeing some changes in their child's um, normal sexual development behavior? What's not appropriate for the age? Um, Another one, if a child has outgrown bedwetting, so if they're not bedwetting, if they haven't been bedwetting in a long time, and then all of a sudden that starts, or if all of a sudden thumb sucking starts back up again, that might be something you want to investigate, like why is this happening all of a sudden, Um, what's going on, and it may be that there's a bully in class, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that they've been exposed to a sexual Mm -hmm. predator, Um, but it's still something that maybe should get your attention. Um, another one that I think is, is really important. If you start to notice your child does not want to be left alone with a certain person, Mm -hmm. um, especially if that's a new behavior that comes up, don't just pass that off as they're being moody or grumpy or, you know, going through, you know, cranky stage. Don't just discount it. Like actually, you know, take them aside and and find out what's, why does this person make you feel uncomfortable? Um, So those are just a few behavioral ones. Obviously, there's some physical signs. If you notice any, you know, bruising, especially around their private part region or any um, type of infection that's different, that's obviously a huge one, you know, perhaps indicating some type of sexually transmitted disease. But I always tell parents, I say, trust your gut if something is off or different with your child. Um, find out what's going on. If they won't talk to you, one thing we've done with our kids just from the beginning is as they got a little bit older, not when they were two, but kind of identifying with them who are safe people that you can talk to. If you don't feel like talking to mom or dad about something, that's okay. Who are some people in your life that you can trust, that you can go to? Let's brainstorm a list. And so that's something helpful parents can do. Um, even right now, even if they don't suspect or have any, you know, certain signs, that's something they can do. And it just builds kind of a little safety team for the kid of you've got this great team of adults that are looking out for you that you can talk to if you have any need whatsoever.
1: And then if parents do suspect, is the question like, hey, did something happen to you? Or what's the question you ask? Because you don't want to put something in their head that hasn't happened. But what do you what do you ask?
2: Yeah, we just dealing with a case yesterday and exactly what Lindsay was describing. A a child knew of um, body parts and touches and a toy being near a private part and just talked about it matter of factly. And you're like, okay, that's one. And he, he, he started having stomach aches and so, you know, some physical response and so not wanting to. So you go in gently um, with uh, has you know does has has so and so has anyone touched you that makes you feel weird or mm-hmm. bad or even touched that feels good mm-hmm. that you want to that we can talk about. Uh, so you 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 I, I wouldn't worry about because you want to get to the truth. I'm not so much worried about placing the idea in the child's head as I am not making it sound really scary to the child to say yes you want to make it as easy as possible to like give give some attention to it i actually suggested the 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 family and pastor that i was working with i said i think you need i think you need a counselor i think you need a child psychologist get in there with some play therapy or something just get in mm-hmm. there with another person with mom and dad or or you know however it works out best for the child to try to get to it because parents don't have to be um the investigators mm-hmm. uh we you know let let Experts and professionals be involved. The parents should be involved, but but contacting a, a, a an expert, a counselor, therapist who can who knows what they're doing on this and know how to get there, know how to uh, be uh, present themselves as trustworthy to a child. They know the body language, the words to use, the eye contact, when not to look at them to allow them to not feel like they're being investigated. So parents, that's not normally a way that we have to engage with our children. So right. I, I, I would suggest something like that, depending on the age, if, if they're, you know, a little bit older, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, preteenish, it might be easier just for the parent to do it if they already have that foundation laid.
3: Hmm. Something the parent can say is, you know, Hey buddy, Hey honey. Like, um, I noticed that you're just not feeling like, or you're not acting like yourself. You're not feeling like, um, like yourself lately, and is there anything you want to talk about? No, has anything? You know, we've talked a lot about um, you know your body and just privacy and and what people um, like as far as you know. However, the parent has talked to them and and say you know, has anything happened that maybe you want to talk to me about? You want to share? No, is there you know, if there's anything you want to talk about, like let's. Let me remind you the people that you can talk to. Would you want to talk with so and so? And so that might encourage them. Maybe there's something they don't want to tell the parent, but to be able to steer them to the other person um, is always helpful. But I think um, I think Justin's right. Sometimes bringing in a third party is helpful, especially if it's if it's a little one that maybe doesn't have the verbal capacity just
1: yet. Mm, that's really helpful. I wanna highlight a couple other aspects from your book that's, that just really stand out to me and then just ask you one more question to land the plane. But one thing I love about it, again, go, throwing back to the lack of shaminess, um, is you started out really joyfully, like God created creation good and he made your body good. And, and parents will ask us and we've talked to other um, guests just about how do you talk to your kids about sex in general and how do you talk about body parts? But just starting out with the good and the yes of creation you can literally talk to one person for one minute an an adult and you hear the brokenness of sexuality so I love how you all lean into the joy of it Mm -hmm. Um, so just thank you for that piece And then the other question I would have for you um, is you highlight and use in the book, and um, I know this is an important aspect of this, but is to use uh, specific words when you talk about body parts. And so I know as a parent of a two and a four year old, it feels weird (laughs) to say those words out loud, but it's funny like when you teach your kids these words, like they're not, um, they aren't weirded out. If you're not acting weird, they're not acting weird. They just take it as matter of fact. When you say, oh, what is it called? Oh, okay. Why is that? Or just, okay. Uh, So why did you choose to essentially teach parents the specific words in this book, in this kid's book?
2: Well, going back to the first point you made about how we start, that actually was really intentional. because, Mm. Because you're talking about such a dark subject, you need to frame it of what was the original good? You can't just dive into there are sneaky people and they're out to get you. Is <laughs> yeah. that, that's the speaking. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, right. But,
2: hey, kids, kids book, kids like animals and nature and all of that's easy. And because they're human, they like themselves. And so you literally go from all creation to animals, to, to you, he made you. And, uh, and the other intentional thing was, uh, and you'll, you'll anyone has everyone's noted this is that it's really colorful it's mm-hmm. not it's not really dark color colors yeah. there's one page that has shadows and that's the one about secrets and tricky yep. people right but the rest is really colorful and that's to frame the whole thing to make it easy to talk about this so going back to your question now about private parts the reason that's so important is because there's a few reasons one is it's the shame thing that there's something that happens in ego you know hey that's your elbow that's your shoulder and then you get to a private part and you're like that's your lily like the fact of giving it Mm. uh, a nickname Mm. and it it already has shame built into it because it's Mm. it's something that's so dirty that you can't actually call it anything so built into the lack of giving it a proper name is shame's already built into it but another reason is because, again, going back to the defense against a perpetrator it, it's positive and it's, it's avoiding shame and it's the integrity of the body. On the defensive side, it's because a perpetrator is going to try to turn private parts into playthings. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a cupcake. It's not a lily. It's, it's, it's not your hoo-ha. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a penis. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so if you can turn – if a perpetrator can turn the objective thing into a plaything – um that's their that's how they do it yeah and so it's built in with some shame and and uh that's the main and so one is for the integrity of the body the second is defensive the third is for investigative purposes yeah. we've heard stories before of a, a four-year-old or a three-year-old who can't verbalize well what's going on because they don't have the vocabulary for it because all yeah. they have is my hoo-ha and you're like well Sorry, but the investigations uh, we've we've seen we've heard of two investigations breaking down because the child didn't have the language for it mm-hmm. and could, couldn't couldn't um, press charges as much as they wanted to. So those are the those are the big reasons that are coming to mind now. Do I leave anything out, hon?
3: You didn't. And I tell parents, I'm like, if you feel awkward about the word, just get in your car, close the door, and just say each word about thirty times, and then you will hopefully be well on your way to proclaiming it to your children. But I think, um, you know, I don't want people to think Justin and I are having this conversation with our kids on a nightly basis. Like the pressure is not on that they have to go around and name the body parts and make it, you know, a nightly 30 minute spiel. I think um, just kids don't want long lectures. They don't want long talks or discussions. They just want little bits and pieces. And so the earlier you can start the better, obviously, but Um, but still keep, keep conversations short, I think is always key and, and practice those words in your car.
2: Well, and something else, practically, it it doesn't mean that you only use like, like we don't go around and go, so how are, how are your buttocks feeling? Like our girls (laughs) would be like, my, my booty's sore. Like they, they'll, (laughs) they'll say things like colloquially. So we're just saying, (laughs) don't be like the shamey family that has, the child has never heard from the parent the proper name for a private part. Yeah. like there, There's people who have never heard their parents actually refer to their private parts. And, and just so everyone knows, a little warning, um, we have gotten in trouble because of this book, because one page is called the private part page by children, which is, by the <laughs> way, just so all the, all the caregivers know, the favorite page across the board for <laughs> all children is the private part page where they actually say the names. I think children <laughs> like watching the awkwardness of their parents, but they just like it. <laughs> and I've asked parents. And, and the picture that we use for that one is actually a boy and a girl in a bathing suit mm-hmm. and the boys in shorts and the girls in a bikini because we wanted to highlight what's covered by the bathing suit. Well, uh, by a few really weird people who are probably in a cult, they referred to the book <laughs> as child pornography because no. a little girl was in a bikini. Oh, and I my. thought, Yes, if we've <laughs> made them angry, we have done it right. Yeah, and ban this book. Crazy that the words it says no private parts or parts covered by your underwear or bathing suit. Yeah, these include your penis, vagina, bottom, and breasts. Yeah, they they could not believe that a child's book would have such dirty, profane words in it. Mm-hmm. So we actually the book does the job for you. Yeah. If you can't say those words, just read the book and try not to blush or. <laughs> Drooled or like out of fear and, ah, and well, they just, they're like <laughs> yeah.
1: frozen i know matt was reading it this week and we probably read it once every six months maybe one every three months but we'll we've learned how to use these words but i know you're reading some of these words this week and the girls are like well what's that but again it's about us we as the parent dictate the shame level that they're gonna feel and so if it's just matter of fact then we're really empowering them uh well justin and Lindsay, um Thank you so much for your time and this really practical help. I know I learned even more and feel even more empowered to be like, okay, let's go love and serve our kids. And Lindsay, I'm just thinking about let's just categorize this body safety under the, the heading of body safety of bike helmets and, and car seats, et cetera. So we care so much about those things. This is so important because we know that it is so devastating. The results are. Exactly. So thank you so much. Um, We really appreciate your time and just your expertise. And for all of you listeners, we cannot recommend this book enough. And I have not read the other ones, but I'm sure they're very uh, helpful as well. But this is just a kid's book. It's called God Made All of Me by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. Uh, and for you listeners we have a question of the week for you for next week if you could be a real life character in a Christmas movie that's right we're hanging on to the 12 days of podcast Christmas uh, which would you be so if you could be a character if you really had to live it out which movie would you choose and which character would you choose and also for you podcast listeners just thanks so much I've gotten a lot of encouraging notes after like my Thanksgiving where I was like I'm tired and this job is hard and you guys have been so encouraging so thank you so much for those notes and for those of you who support this nonprofit ministry of Whole in My Heart Ministries. If you throw a $50 gift, $50 or more for an end of the year donation extra if you already give monthly or if you start giving monthly with any amount, we're going to send you a Whole in My Heart podcast t-shirt and they are really cool so just tell us your size and like the memo of your PayPal or on your check so we will send that to you. Um, Thanks again to our guests Justin and Lindsay Holcomb and for all of us here at the Whole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. For those of you listeners, we couldn't recommend this book, and I have not read the other ones, but I'm sure they're very uh, helpful as well. But this is just a kid's book. It's called God Made All of Me by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb.
4: Do you want to take the... Just to, at the very end when you were kind of doing the the exit, You you had said we... Cannot recommend this book. And then you, oh, I know enough? you were, Did I know not say you the didn't word enough? say enough. So it was like, we cannot recommend e- this book. Okay. <laughs> it's like, pornography. Wait, no, we definitely recommend this book. <laughs> it is a
1: cult. I am from a cult. Yeah. Let me say the word enough. Okay. Yes. I'll take that again. Uh, you all listeners, we can't, let me just start that again. So for all of you listeners, we cannot recommend this book enough. It is called God Made All of Me and it's by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. Yeah. Okay. That'll work. Good job, Matt. Good <laughs> catch. Right. The end of is such a critical word. Yeah, it's a, word. well,
4: the meaning changed a we lot. Couldn't re- we no.
0: couldn't recommend this book. I was like, more highly. Yeah, more highly. <laughs> you where's Latin? the
1: adverb? Yeah, right. That was what we needed. All right, you guys, thanks so much. Well, thank, thank you, you so for having much This, this was fun. <laughs> oh, good. That's like our, usually every guest says that, is they've had fun. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, if you can yeah. leave more rejuvenated, then that's an A plus because... I don't know. We're the church, right? Mm. Even if we're now part of the Anglican Church until about n- n- a couple months. Steve, you gonna switch? <laughs> 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 All right. When I have sure. some
0: time off work, when yeah, I have some time off that from week, work, and I'm not spending work it. it with my kids, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in.
1: It really that was a great convo too. I didn't yeah. realize the sub convo would be that. It was yeah. great.